Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation between a black man, Derek Pearson, from 94.1 The Ticket in Omaha, Nebraska, a sports radio station, and a white man and myself from Salt Lake City, Utah, with a goal for this white man of understanding Derek and understanding exactly how this white person can make a difference, who can own things that he didn't know about himself and truly start to understand exactly why black lives matter and how he can make a difference in what's happening in our country. I hope you enjoy this honest conversation and thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, piece of cake. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me on this, uh, you know, just uh, unprecedented time in America. The, you know, just, um, you know, for me growing up, starting in the seventies until now, it's just, you know, stunning to see all of this. And, and uh, I just really appreciate you coming on to have an honest discussion with me about what's happening right now. Well, it's not always uh, uh an easy conversation, but conversations must be had. <laughs> like sure. we've, we've got to do it. It, it, it. If we want to get it right, we've got to get past uh, that uncomfortable initial feeling. Uh, don't, don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Don't worry about asking the wrong question. Let's just have a conversation and we'll, we'll get to know each other better. And that's usually the way every, all of this stuff works out. I agree. I agree. And I, I, I want to do that exactly. And, and I have, uh, questions and I, I, um, I queried my kids on them and, and, you know, just, I really want to dig into that discussion, but you know, first, so Derek Pearson, you are uh, 93.7 FM, the ticket in Omaha, Nebraska. Just quickly tell us how you got there. Where, where were you born? Where, what, what brought you to this point? I am, I was born just outside of Washington, DC in Arlington, Virginia, a very diverse area. Um, at least the, the, the county is diverse. Um, DC is diverse, but, um, in a predominantly black neighborhood, that was, uh, one of the first areas that were, were busing took place. So that if you think, remember the Titans, 1970, 71 ish, mm-hmm. that, um, that's, that, that's my life. Those are my people. Um, and, um, the, the area that was, that we, we lived in that black folks lived in. There were three areas. One of them was previously owned by Robert E. Lee and the government took it over after the civil war. Um, some folks bought it up and only sold it to black people. So they'd have a place to live. So a lot of the migration from Southern Virginia, North Carolina ended up in this part of Arlington, Virginia. Gotcha. So like the opposite of redlining then is yeah. the, the answer <laughs> to redlining. Yeah, that was really what it was um, to give these folks an area because these are folks that, you know, um, through through whatever generations were going to help build D.C. It was going to build it up. So think back to the, you know, those 1800s where 
a lot of the buildings that exist now weren't there. Well, you needed p- people to build them. In order to do so, you had to give something of value to them. Um, so, and my my house was five, a five minute bike ride to the Pentagon. So that gives you any point of sure. reference. Okay, yeah, it does. That, so really close to, if you will, the border of DC. For yep. people that aren't familiar with DC, it was built almost in. It was built in a way for. It, it, everything points back to the what to the Capitol, right? To the White House, uh, all the streets yep. and everything point back in, almost like a, a trapezoid or an upside down triangle, or and yeah. and it was built that way for the the so so the government at that time could see if anybody was coming, and then they were uh, bordered by the water, the bay on the backside in the Potomac, and. So then communities of Virginia and Maryland really are just right over the side, if you will, of D.C. It's really it's really unique in the way it, geographically it's set up. Well, it also it works out. It, it's interesting that over the years what's happened is, I mean, because the government folks, folks who work for the government and then the people that are sent to D.C. from around the country as representatives, Congress and Senate, they live in, in those surrounding areas and you engage and you you deal. So we get a bird's eye view and some insider on how, how the government and how uh, policies work. Um, because the, the joke in, in that area is that I see you on TV debating at three o'clock. I also see you together at five o'clock having, having drinks together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen that. And that's why I love DC. I've, I've been, you know, I've been to cigar bars in DC and you just see those conversations happening and, you don't necessarily know the people, but you can envision and or imagine what they're talking about. And it's uh, it's really, it's unique of anywhere I've ever been to experience that um, kind of access to policy that you figure is being worked out at that point. I wish that most people in, in, those, in the other portions of the country would all spend some time living and working in D.C. because then they would understand. I look at... I, I separate things by by this. Um, there's politics and then there's humanity. Yes. And people will confuse the two. Yes. And I would always say, well, if you if you live in DC, we look at politicians like pro wrestlers. Okay. That they are paid for to script and to speak to things that once the cameras are off, they may not, they may not live that reality. No question. So once, yes. <laughs> once you, once you understand that you go, okay, listen, I'm not a politician. I'm a human being. So I, I know how to human that, that should be my focus. I'm not paid to, for policy. I don't deal with people based on policy. I deal with people based on their humanity. And if you're telling me something from love, I lean in. And if you're telling me something from other than love, I lean away. I keep it that simple. And and is that difficult? Was that difficult with where you grew up and how you were raised to keep it that um, simple? Did you come to it later in life? Yeah, I came to that much later in life. Well, okay. no, no, actually. So we, the black neighborhood, we were bust in, I want to say 1970. Um, and I was, t- I, I, I was protested. I was put on a bus and sent to, uh, a school, a predominantly white school, and an all-white school on the other side of the county. And when I got there as a nine-year-old, when I got off the bus, I, there was a protest. 
there were wow. there were grown, there were adults who were protesting the fact that I was going to attend the school with their kids. And I, I'm nine. I didn't know why. I didn't know what that meant. I, as a matter of fact, I wondered, why are you mad at me? You don't even know me. Right. Like, why are you mad? Um, and then you learn to identify allies, people who welcome you. And just as there were parents who told their kids, you better not play with the black kid, there were parents who told their kids, yeah, you you, you better play. You at least try to be friends with this kid. Um, so you learn to identify um, people that lean in towards you. Um I was, God, I was boycotted. I was tested. Uh, we did some academic testing back in the original days of standardized testing. And I did did really well to the point where white parents demanded that I would be, be asked to take those tests under direct supervision to prove that I didn't cheat. Oh, wow. And, you know, that, that, that happened. Um, if you, if you could see an area of 20 blocks, 20 square blocks, if you crossed that 21st block, it was actually called the white section. Like you know, you knew, okay, all bets are off. If you go over there, like you, you have your rules and sure. <laughs> that was one of them. Don't go over there, which me being a curious kid, I needed to know what, what the boogeyman looked like. I need to go over there. And when <laughs> I didn't, and when I didn't find him, um, I didn't find him. I, there was, there was, it was, I was reinformed that it was there, right? It was reinforced to me that it existed, just not there where I was looking. And so that followed me all the way through up to high school, where I went to predominantly white high school. Um, the pretty, pretty, one of America's greatest high schools, Washington Lee High School in Arlington, Virginia. Um, Sandra Bullock went there, Brian Plato, Shirley MacLaine, Warren Beatty. I mean, there's some, you know, there are a lot of folks. Sure. Who who came through this high school? Um, was and it a you learn. Was it a combination of uh, affluent people and so affluent white people and then people that lived in the black part of yeah. the town? Was that how it was made up? So imagine one out of four hundred and fifty kids in each class. Um, I'd say that for each of those uh, classes, I'd say ten kids, maybe um, ten to fifteen in each grade were black who came from the Southern part of the, the, the County and would go to school there. Now there were, um, there's another black area that, of the North that sent another 15 or 20 kids. So 10% of the population of the school's population, it, it, I, I guess they tried to measure and keep it whatever society was. So if 10% black was what the number was, that's what they were trying to do within those schools. Got it. Got it. And so, um, yeah. And, 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 and the money was all over. I mean, cause I went to school, I mean, uh, you know, Secretary Schlesinger and all the kids, we all all the politicians' kids went to 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 to, to WNO. They went to Washington Lee. So you got poor, you got rich, you got really rich, and you got really poor. Um, um, so you, the beauty of of that, the beauty of Arlington is this: there's so there's so many people from everywhere that it's really hard to hate anybody. Okay. Because if you hate a particular thing for no reason, you're going to hate all the time. <laughs> sure. It was, you know, um, influx of Vietnamese population. That was right there in the heart of Arlington. Um, uh, you know, Hispanic population right there in Arlington. Uh, European 
first generation European, right? Folks who just got to America would would post up in Arlington, hmm. and it just really made it difficult. There were still those 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 instances, and for every instance where somebody somebody came to me with negative intent and negative direction, there were more people who were open to me and loved me and protected me and boundaried for me. So that helped. You consider that unique? No, in truth, it's, it's kind of like, uh, social media. (laughs) Okay. Now that you can do, you can do 100, you can do, you can do a thing and a hundred people will say, Jeremy, that's exceptional. There's going to be two people who simply say, well, Jeremy, that's stupid. Jeremy, that doesn't make any sense. I don't agree with that. You, we tend to listen to the two. Right. We have to learn to pay attention to the, to, to the 98. The 98 is what really matters. Um, yes, that too can be loud. The 98 has to be louder. So, <laughs> and that's, that's the, the part for me is that you assume that everybody's being nice and everybody's kind and everybody's got a good heart. Um, that's not criminals, the case. Yeah. Criminals aren't the norm. Um, bad politicians aren't the norm. Bad police aren't the norm. Um, but those exceptions are really loud. And we use those exceptions as boundaries to say either we can't allow that or we need to be aware of it. So segwaying. that's the way I look at it. Okay. So that's, that's a great segue. So along those lines right now with what we are seeing, and, and I want to, if, if you would indulge me, um, okay. I, I, wanna, I want to play the uh, clip that you sent me of uh, James Baldwin. Absolutely. Uh, and, and then talk about it. It's about three minutes, and I want people to hear it. But I, I, in transitioning, I, I want to paint the picture that right now of the analogy you just gave me, the, okay. ni- the 98 people are the people that are protesting right now. Is that, is that a fair thing to say going into this? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So let's, let's, before we opinionate on that, let's listen to James Baldwin. This is 1968. And he's talking about just why the, in, during the, the height of the civil rights movement, why people of, of color, why black people are rioting. All right. The reason that black people are in the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that, and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father, or a black woman, or a black son. And all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women, in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. 
The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago, is what does the Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want to be able to raise my children in peace and arrive at my own maturity in my own way in peace. I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other. If you can overcome the curtain of my color, the curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still. And black means that I'm African. And we both know, we've both been here too long. You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England, and I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together, or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you. Time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish. All right. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you sending that, uh, Derek. I mean, it, it's there's so much in there, and I think a lot to talk about. And I think it frames this conversation so well. Um, you know, the, the, the curtain of my color and I've, I've never, and, and, and to give you a small background on me, I, I, you know, in, in college the, I took, um, a history of African Americans class. I took an American race dilemma class. This was something I was passionate about. And in, and very honestly, until recently, I, I used that as, well, you know, I, I have knowledge, I have understanding of what black people are going through. And so I can empathize better, but I, I still, I I think when I look at it, I still can be prone to see the curtain of color, not even intentionally, but just it's almost subliminally that, you know, that's been ingrained in me. And when I, you know, when, when I saw this and I, there's so many things I think that can be um, talked about, you know, just even digging into, his eloquence in, you know, the way he speaks, the way the, the metaphors that he uses, um, so much of that can be talked about, meaning, you know, judged. Um, I think that people can go down that road. So I framing that because this is right around the time that you're talking about of getting off the bus and being protested. And then the remember, the, remember the Titans time, this was yeah. in 1968, you know, it, it, Talk about feeling that curtain of color and, and how, you know, what he's talking about. Cause it, it, he also talks about the family and, you know, and being able to raise a family. I'd like to know how difficult that is for, a, you know, for a black person, for a black family and, and what's, 
you know, what the challenges are, what are the problems that, that black families bring upon themselves, just like white families do and, and how this all meshes together. Yeah, it's interesting. There are a couple of things. Um, one, I always tell people, first of all, I don't speak for all black people. Um, you speak for yourself. Like, yeah. You speak for right. yourself. Right. It's like, so I, I tell people just in, in that as a, as a, a welcome um, that I, I'll be present and I can speak for, about myself. Um, in your own experiences. Two, yeah. two I love this phrase. Uh, do I have your permission to tell you the truth? Mm. Because that allows us to have an honest conversation. Um, and that's a GPS. So if it ever feels like I'm drifting away from the truth or from honesty, you know, I'm, I'm held accountable to it. Right. right. You can always say, you know, let's go deeper um, and we can do that. And then finally to this, um, specifically to this point, my family, um, I don't know to this day. I don't know what our our financial status was to the rest of the world. What I knew was I knew that we weren't rich. But I also knew that we had more than some others. So I learned to be graceful in what I had. What I had around me, there are days when I had more love around me than I had food. Okay. And I was okay with that because it taught me that some of the other stuff, the material things, the things from outside of that place didn't really matter. Sure. Um, I have, you know, there were seven brothers and sisters in that house. Um, there were eight kids all together. My grandmother was right, lived around the corner from me. So I had love in my circle. I had love in my neighborhood. Um, the problems though, again, that there was a, there was a, a racial electric fence placed around my community that if you went outside of that, you were to beware. There was a, 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 an emotional electronic fence put around my community because it was, this is your place, know your place. It, it's a constant thing. Know your place, know your place, know your place. Is that what, do you belong your, here? Did your parents yeah, do say you that belong to you? Here? Did your oh, parents... oh that, that, that was constant. That okay. I knew that I could not ride my bike through certain neighborhoods. I certainly couldn't walk through certain neighborhoods. Um even even neighborhoods where I was familiar, like, you know, there, there were people who I went to school with their kids and I would walk them home from school. And it was, well, don't come inside my gate. Hmm. Um, it, it was people that, you know, I, I, I posted this on social media this weekend that there are people that I, when I played ball in high school, there are people that rooted for me on game night who would not allow me in their house on Saturday. Right. You root for me on Friday night. You love me on Friday night. <laughs> you right. won't talk to me on Saturday. And that's actually, <laughs> that's, that's huge. And that's actually a question. So my, my daughter, Emma has been uh, actively protesting and, and my, my kids, this is, they're very passionate about, um, about causes. And this one has just grabbed their heart, you know, to tears. And so I asked them, you know, I told them I was going to have this discussion with you. And the first question that my daughter, Emma brought up, she wanted to know, um, talking about white people that they hate black people, but love black athletes and, and how that developed. And it's exactly what you're talking about. And, 
it, it's and I've I've seen it and it's just it's crazy. Yes, living in Utah makes it hard to bet. That's why I am grateful for BetOnline.ag. PGA Tour is heating back up th- this weekend. Rory's there. Dustin Johnson. Uh, BetOnline.ag brings Vegas to you. Vegas, baby. Yeah. Smashing. It's switched on. BetOnline.ag. You can use Bitcoin. I don't know why the British accent makes sense there. You get the earliest lines in the industry. BetOnline.ag. All, you have live casino action, blackjack, poker. You got to check it out. There's still fun to be had, so go, on, go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. It's smashing, baby. Yeah. Living here in Utah, especially, and you may, when you were here, I mean, you know, it's it, it's the the few black athletes that went to BYU, you know, were loved on Saturday, and then you know they were dissed for the rest of the week. And I I I figured out in college that there there there's these two columns of people, um, and you'll recognize these people immediately. There are people who want ownership of a thing. And then there are people who want to do right by that thing. And in relationships, <laughs> there were people, you know, the guy who that's my girlfriend. She's my property. Right. That's uh, we, we had, <laughs> we had a person whose name I haven't used in four years say, that's my, that's my African-American. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's ownership, right? Right. That, as long as you give me value, I mean, that, my strong buck, my strong Philly, um, this is my boy. Mm-hmm. All of those things come from that ownership superiority that this is mine. Now, don't you dare try to rise up from it. You're here to make me look good, mm-hmm. not you. And that's when it comes to sports. That whole just play ball and shut up thing, mm-hmm. that's ownership versus right. That's a great that's point. Entertain me, help me make money, allow me to better my standing, but you stay in your lane. You stay in your lane because that's where I need you. Remember, you should be thankful. Right. You've heard these conversations. You should be happy. You're making the money you're making playing that game. So on that, and I, I'll try to phrase this question or, or frame this question the best way possible. So in listening to James Baldwin, he's eloquent and he's talking about, I just want the same things that you want and, and to be left alone and That's to it. raise my, and to be left alone. So now uh, fast forwarding in, in you being on the radio uh, being a black man, you know, you're eloquent and you, you know, you, it, it's, you know, when I say eloquent, okay, you know, you, you. Oh, I know where you're going. Okay, but <laughs> athletes today, black athletes have their own language that is, you know, it, it, for lack of a better term, it's just grammatically, very grammatically incorrect. And if a white person goes to try to talk about it, you know, saying bruh or tweets about that, B-R-U-H, um, and tries, you know, they, they, um, 
you know, it's, it's okay. It's, they've taken ownership of the N word and they say that to each other, but it's, these are role models talking and in, in separating themselves. And it's not, it, it seems to, it, there's it's, so much depth to this. It, it, it um, seems the complete opposite of what James Baldwin was talking about. And I no, struggle no, but, with that. I really but, do. Okay. So here's a couple of things. Okay. One, that this country is built on, on a concept and idea that, that I was less than human. On top of that, it was built with the concept that um, I could be killed, literally killed, if I showed proof that I knew how to read or write. Okay. okay. Or write. So conversations, and remember, my original descendants here did not speak this language. Right. So a lot of the language had to be coded. A lot of the conversations had to be coded because if I was speaking to my brother and, and the master didn't approve of it, and I didn't want him to know what I was talking about, we had to come up with our own language. Okay. We had to code speak. And the conversation that Carl Malone and I will have mm-hmm will be different than the conversation I have with you. Yes. So we, for a country that built it so that there was a need, then you have to deal with what happens from it. You created the need for that situation. You created, you created an environment in which my own language. Now we don't say that about, California bros. We don't say that about Southern brothers. We don't talk about Northeastern. We don't talk about people from the Bronx and Brooklyn who all have different dialects because that's just really what it is. Right. It's just a cultural dialect. And there are people who are made uncomfortable by it. But my thing is this, again, is this a love thing or not love thing? If you are leaning in to understand it or do you want to judge it? Well, okay. And that's so the thing is, if I said, "What's happening, Jay?" You fully understood what I meant. No question. No question. And I, I and I embrace that it. Should yeah. be, that should be the full get off for you. Is Look, totally. But okay, let's say I try to respond in kind, like I try to speak your language. So when I I've been to forty two states, mm-hmm. when I go to those states, I try to immerse myself in the culture, and that that includes the South. I spent a lot of time in the Deep South, in Mississippi, in Alabama. Um, which is in Louisiana, all three of those, like in the deepest parts of them. And it, it's, I've lo- I always look to immerse myself in those cultures and I want to understand that stuff. And I feel like as a white person, if I, now with you, I know I could respond and, and at least try. If I try to. That's, that's all that, then that's all you should ever have to do is that but, place of comfort. If you are doing it simply out of connection. Yes. Then. In that, me as a human being, I'm going to recognize your intent rather than judge whatever discomfort I could place you in. Because if I'm putting you in discomfort, that is simply for me to gain advantage over you. (laughs) I'm not that dude. I don't work that way. Right. Just like when I was in Utah, oh my heck, became a part of my vernacular. (laughs) Like I I had a full understanding for that. And it was not disrespectful. Or a slight. Right. It was my acknowledgement that I saw you and I heard you. Well, it's like saying you guys instead of y'all. I mean. Yeah. So look at it that way. 
and it'll simplify for you that if it's somebody that you're familiar with and you're comfortable with and they say, you, you say, you said, what's up, man? They're not going to be upset unless it is either done from an ownership standpoint okay. rather than a right standard point of view. So back, and, and, so back to Mr. Baldwin, you, this has come from is about ownership then. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, because it's, it's one, I, there's that comp, there's, there's a phrase that's used. Oh, he's, he, he's so well spoken for a black person. Yes. And it's, um, well, not correlate in Utah. Like I was, you know, I was a clean cut kid growing up. They'd always say, I can't believe you're not Mormon. You would be such a good Mormon. Right. And I was like, what's wrong with me as I am? I can be clean cut and respectful and not be a Mormon here in Utah. If you, if that person said you're so well-spoken. Pause. Right. That's all that's required. Right. It's that other it's that other thing that separates and divides that you're so spoken well spoken for a black person. <sighs> you you had me. You right. had me leaning in because that appeared to be a love thing. And then and then you disconnected it and redirected it. Got it. So I say to people all the time, say that again. And then I'll pause them. <laughs> <laughs> Because I want them to know what I'm trying to hear from you is the good. Sure. What I'm trying not to hear is the other. Which is the curtain of his of the color. There's the curtain that we put up. We put the curtain up in athletic ability. We put it up in education. We put it up uh, genetically. We put it up in financially. We put it up uh, in, in, in community. Um, and my thing is, if you're using that just to identify where you are, like you're being present. It's fully okay to know that you're in a black neighborhood. Sure. It is not fully okay for you to know that you're in a black neighborhood and become afraid. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like all I want is for you to be, you to treat me when I come to your neighborhood, the way you want me to treat you when you come to mine. Cause that absolutely still exists. And, and yeah. I was in uh, Birmingham and and I saw it firsthand where it, it I, I saw we were getting barbecue and we were in a suburb of Birmingham and next door to, you know, it's a classic Southern barbecue place. Yep. Next door to it is this upscale brewery. And in the back, they're having like a, a, a country music night and there's fence around it. And, you know, all the cars over in the barbecue lot were going to this brewery and they're out of, 400 people seeing the concert in a black neighborhood. There were four black people and mm -hmm. it was the most insane thing I've ever seen with regard <laughs> to race. I just had never seen anything like that other, you know, in Utah, but the Utah doesn't have the black population that Birmingham does. Right. You know? And so it, it just was stunning. And so I, I completely get what you're saying and it's, I, I'm cognizant of it, but I can't say that I'm always, that I'm always there 100% just, just because like I, I, it's, you know, it's something I know I constantly need to work on. Um, but but it, nobody is, no, nobody is. And we're not, 
I'm not in the judgment business. God has never asked for for my assistance judging. <laughs> Likewise, yes. Well, he's never asked for my my help, so I, 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 that's a lane I try to stay out of. Right. But I do try to say to be present. I, I try to get present in that if I'm dealing with Jeremy, I know what Jeremy's comforts, discomforts, level of knowledge of myself and himself. So I know that you know you you you're you are aware. So there are conversations that I can have with you that I cannot have with other people because they don't have that level of self-awareness or they don't care enough to really want to get more information. They just want to be heard. Sure. And there's a difference in the conversations. There are people that want to talk to be heard. There are people that want to communicate. And there are people that want to communicate and learn. Those people are the people who will find themselves in the, in, in the best positions because you're able to actually consume information. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lost art that the, you know, conversations aren't cited. Those aren't conversations. Like people who have conversations it was said to, to to make a point rather than to to be connected or to pay to pay right, attention. Right, but there are but opinions are cited though, and and <laughs> so opinions are cited. Conversations shouldn't be, but they. I mean, in in as we transition to now with regard to the the, the protests and and so two questions. Uh huh. Why has it taken this long for the black community to protest to this point with, with, with specific regard to police brutality. When, when we know that that's been there and there've been many other instances and in, in videos um, that, that have been posted and that have been seen, what, what drove it to this point? And do you see the second side of that? Do you see sides having conversations and listening or is it still just two opinions that are being debated? So think about it this way. James Baldwin's interview was so pointed and so valuable because there were only three or four black voices from that era that could have had that conversation, that would have been allowed to have that conversation. Now, with electronics and digital media and everybody's got a cell phone with a camera and a video machine, more things are being captured. It's kind of the glacier thing that what's captured on the phone is what you see above the water. What really concerns me is what's below the water, the sure. part of the iceberg that's below the water. Right. <laughs> what we're having the conversation now is we understand that if I tell you that, Jeremy, there's more to the glacier than what wrecked the boat, right? Right. Like, <laughs> Titanic happens because we only see the tip. We don't see the base that's really the foundation to it. We This, to me, is a movement, and it's cyclical because once a generation, and you figure a generation is every 25 years, that that generation has to have a moment or two where they move the needle where you have to move the needle and say, listen, I know we've gotten comfortable, but we can't forget. I know we've gotten comfortable, but we can't forget. And we'll get comfortable, no matter how this plays out, we'll get comfortable again. And then the other side, the side that wants 
it all to burn down. The people who have never been loved, don't understand love, uh, can't participate in love. And you know who those people are the moment you meet them. They're the people on social media that you could post a picture of you and Carl Malone. Mm-hmm. And it will take a moment of seconds before somebody says, well, what about this? Those are people that are so much in pain and so hurt by whatever thing it is, a lack, generally it's a lack of love, that they're going to, so the, the, the old phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. We've got to love the hurt people and bring them into the fold. Bring them into the love fold. Let them understand that, listen, I'm not here to take from you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to lessen you. I'm just here. I had to do that when I was in Utah. There were people that didn't trust the outsider. For sure. Well, and that goes two ways in Utah. Yeah. yeah. And across the board, right? For sure. And so we tell people all the time, get to that place where no matter what feeling you have, you feel free. You have permission to speak to it as long as you're willing to listen. So along the lines of where the black community only had three or four people that were allowed to speak in the same, in, in the same going back in reverse, there were only three or four people that could be heard for the black community. Well, imagine you, this, that most of the black voices that, that were heard prior to 1998 were either people, black folks who moved, left America and went to Europe so that they could speak and live without being killed, or they were killed. So think of the loud voices, Martin, Malcolm, Paul Robeson before that, uh, uh, the country that tried to break Joe Lewis so they wouldn't speak. Uh, we put Muhammad Ali in jail. Right. The Black Panthers. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean all, all the way down the line. Right. So all right. the way down the line. So black folks have to make a decision. Do I want to be heard more than I'm afraid of being killed for it. But do does the black community need three or four people that have the same message that you're talking about as far as the desire to have the conversation on both sides? Or, it's happening it's happening now because now there's blogs where where you don't have to re- rely on um, the major media companies to to hire you and to give you access and exposure. Sure. You can actually go out and do this thing yourself. But we also know that, I mean, come on, we could name prior to 1970 the number of black TV programs. Right. <laughs> they didn't exist because it was felt like, oh, you know, middle America is not going to want to watch black folks. They're not going to be comfortable watching black folks. They're not going to watch black folks succeed. They don't want smart black people on TV. Uh, Okay, you can put on black people, but they have to be cartoons or they have to be cartoon-ish. They have to be non-threatening. Right. <laughs> it's like the the and and that's not a black thing. That's a brown, tan, blue thing. That the Bruce Lee document ran last night and talked about that one of the greatest humans to walk the planet, one of the great actors and athletes, could not get on television here in America and stay on television because they felt like. A Chinese person of of intelligence and a, and a small dialect would not be accepted in America. Mm. Like he got his success after. So what America does is they resist first, 
And then they come back. Think again, Cassius Clay. Think uh, folks that Jackie Robinson, Kurt Flood, people that were set aside, had to go through abuses to get their place. The same could be said for Billie Jean King. Um, Kareem that we even refused had his, people, yeah. right? right? That we refused first. And then later on, later on, we come back after the calm and we go, oh, yeah, we were wrong about that. I mean, this is a country that got it wrong about Jackie Robinson. Like, that's... <laughs> no question, right. Right, like, how how off the center do you have to be to get Jackie Robinson wrong? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be more voices, and you see them, in, particularly in, in, in sports media, um, which is flooding over. Our buddy Morris Payton is an example of somebody who starts in sports and moves over to, to main media um, through through comfort and, and recognition. Those voices will happen across the board. There will be a re- resistance originally, and then America will get past this discomfort and listen. And let me tell you, your daughters thank them because they're going to be one more generation. We are one day closer to being to to to, to the same. Yes. I, I try to stay away from the word equal because I don't want to to portray that. Well, I mean, and that actually brings up a whole different conversation because equal gets into the socioeconomic differences and the I mean just the the physical differences, the geographical differences. I mean that that's that's in my mind a whole different conversation and in pertinent, but you know the, I think this argument is is different because it's it, it's even worse. I don't know if that makes sense. But, I heard this. Yeah. I heard this this weekend that when it comes to 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 humanity, America has asked people to settle for way less. That we had the current you know hot phrase is Black Lives Matter, and it says, wait a minute, we we have to have a conversation over whether black folks matter. Right. Like matter, like we know the definition of matter <laughs> and we're having that conversation because we had the conversation of equal because we had the conversation of civil rights. So equal rights, civil rights, <laughs> we can't get those right. Yeah. That's where I put trust in the conversations as a reminder to say, listen, all we want, I don't want you to help me. Unfortunately, I need a cosign because that's America still that I I need a white cosign to be a black person of value in this country. But I don't want anything given to me. All I want is the value of what I'm doing, what I'm actually producing, what I'm actually putting out there. Allow me to, to work at the same level as the person who's equal to me. Not, don't put me ahead of somebody that's better than I am. Don't put one behind. Put me, let me have my own value based on what I produce. That's all anybody wants. And nothing can prove otherwise. There just isn't anything to say otherwise. So well-spoken. Um, completely agree. Uh, a couple of questions as, as we wrap up, Derek, and I so appreciate um, this conversation. I know we could go for so long. I just, <laughs> I don't want to dominate the entire We can do it day. again. We absolutely. can do it again. And we need to. I mean, it, 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 yeah. it, we absolutely need to. So two questions. The first one, and this one actually that comes from my son, Calvin, 
who also does the uh, music for our show. So thanks, Cal. Appreciate it. Thank you, Cal. <laughs> They're both my daughter and son are both musicians, incredibly talented. They call me stage dad because that's, you know, I always have to brag about them. All right. Nice, bro. Yeah, that's nice. right. <laughs> so um, Calvin wants to know what systemic changes need to happen to see real change. In your opinion, what are the systemic changes? We're seeing a lot of things about defunding uh, police departments, putting money into social programs. But what is what is that reality? In your opinion, what are the systemic changes that need to happen? Wow. Um, being a DC kid, I know that a lot of the system is financial deals done in the dark. Yes. Um, never, as long as there's... You yeah, never as take, long as there's money take, in politics, yeah. Yes, you can't take what people are saying at face value ever. There's always something behind it that's motivating it. So that's I didn't mean to interrupt you, DP. So oh I, no, no, I, it's I, it's funny. It's funny because back in in my single days, and it's funny too because even now, um, I because I tend to 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 stay in a middle lane in that I don't. I don't need the extremes to get through. My thing is, are you doing a good thing for most people? Are you doing good thing for other people rather than a good thing for yourself? That's how I measure. And politics is the one extra vote that gets you paid. Right. So people tend to go in that direction. And then we know that opinions can be swayed by, by, by investment. So a number of times that I elicit this message, of fear or angst or hate, the more I can elicit that, the more I can get what I want if I value from that thing. Yes. As long as that's the case, because when those people go home, they have to answer to a different deal. Now, a lot of folks that are representatives don't go back home or they go back home on the weekends when nobody knows they're there and (laughs) they hide at their house and then they fly back to DC and they do their bidding. Yep. As long as money is a part of it, um, I've been offered to to be a politician. You know, please consider uh, running for office as a Republican or as a Democrat or as an independent. And I, I found out how the how it worked and the amounts of money that people offered to have me be a paid actor. Hey, Derek, you're very eloquent and you write very well. And with your TED talks, you have exposure and you can craft ideas. So you could be, you'd be a great political writer and you'd be a, you're a great spokesperson. And you look good in front of the camera. Here's what we can do for you. If you're willing, you go, okay, well, w- w- what do you need from me? Like you're not offering me all this money for nothing. Right. So what are you offering it for me? Well, here are the caveats. Ah, uh-huh. ah, there's always, there's always an agenda behind the money. And as long as politics does that, as long as you, you and I, the voter, don't, we, if we don't hold them accountable for them promising to do what we sent them there to do, and we have to hold them accountable. But we get lazy, and our trip, our family trip that weekend is way more important than us listening to the news or finding out what they're actually voted on or standing outside their office and saying, that's not what I sent you there for. We have to care. We actually have to care that the agendas are taken out of policy, that humanity is put into it. If we just ask a very simple question, most of the time we can get we can get right, which is 
Who is this good for and why? Yes. Because policy, if there's no humanity in it, it shouldn't be policy. So like we start from the very beginning that the greatest minds of our and our forefathers of this country couldn't figure out how to simply say it's wrong to own people of color. Right. Right? That, yeah. yeah. At, at the ownership start. versus right. We could have from the very beginning done right. So is that what fair to say? What we did is we allowed special people, special groups, and special sex to kidnap the process and turn it into a cash grab rather than people that are there to serve the people who sent them there. So the, the, so the police tell can't... Cal, I'll tell, tell Cal, Cal okay. this. Tell Cal this. As he grows, that if love is more a part of what he does, love of his music career, love of his family, love of his neighbors, love of his friends, love of him himself and love of others, he will be able to spread the next message to the next person as he reminds them, hey, listen, I know you think that's fun, the thing you're doing, but it's actually mean. Don't do that. Yeah. After a while, in those numbers, that 98%, so we said that if, if 60% of the company, country decided that it was going to be love-based, love as a GPS, we would have gotten all this other stuff right. Because hmm. the moment we get into anger, the GPS, that GPS would say, Jeremy, this don't feel like love to me. This does, this does not appear to be love. Are you sure this is what you want to do, say, <laughs> next? Right. And <laughs> I understand that people go, oh, my goodness, he's talking love. Yes, I am. Because there's love and then there's everything else. And fear is a prison. Lying is a prison. Anger is a prison. What I want people to understand is that policy can only have value if there's humanity attached to it. So if I say, listen, I want better schools. Do you want better schools for everybody to be educated or do you want better schools for your kids? The moment you say, well, I'm worried about mine, then you can't have that job. Yeah. No question. You can't have the job. Your kids have a really good understanding. Look, you've got a great gene pool and some wonderful human beings that are going to lead your kids. Right? I, I, I can speak to that personally. But if your kids accept that, listen, I know it's uncomfortable. I know you don't want to do this thing that I'm asking you to do, but it's a love thing. It'll be good for you. They always buy into that. We need to say the same thing to politicians. So well said. Um, and and I, I, the message of love is so powerful. Couldn't agree more. And it, it, you never have enough. I just don't think that you ever can have enough or exude enough. And uh, it, so on that, so my last question for you, and, it, and obviously the foundation of, of this is love, for white people, do white people need to acknowledge their white privilege in order to be able to sympathize or empathize with what the, the black people are going through? I, here's what I would say to that. White people need to, to understand that 
I don't need to name call and finger point and put them in a barrel of privilege. I need white people to love. That's what every brown, black, blue, purple person wants. Just love, just love more. Look, don't be the vindictive, hateful version of yourself. That's not who you are. That's not who the country says we are. We we say, look, we're not that. that we're not that, that. We're not that angry. Well, yeah, because we've got angry leadership. So now the next leadership has to be love based. They have to actually be people who live from love, work from love, action from love. And you can't tell me that, well, you know, if we do this, we're going to remove some people from the process. That's not love. This is not, well, we're going to take all the money and we're going to keep other people from having it. That's not love either. Well, we're going to be in a position of power so we can do what we want. That's not love either. All I want from any white person is to be present enough to give me a chance. Like if I'm being worthy of love, give me love. If I'm not, say I'm not. And then I'll work to be worthy of love. Like, that's all I want. I don't, I don't want you to give me love as we will. Look, if you can, cool. But <laughs> look, if you treat that thing, all the, the, we have the golden rule. Right. And as an American, as a, as a human being, all I've ever asked for is the same thing any other human being could ask for, which is see me for me, love me for me when I'm worthy, and when I'm not worthy of that, love me to the point where I become worthy of it. All the other stuff is finger pointing and nonsense. And, you know, I tell people, look, man, <laughs> I, I can hug you or not. I don't know why you would choose the or not. I have zero idea why you would choose the or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, man, it's, uh, it's been such a pleasure, DP. And, and got a virtual hug for you. You know, over the, yeah, brother. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, just we will have another conversation. And just know that I I do love you, and I greatly appreciate your heart, the way that you have uh, had a conversation with me. And I just uh, definitely want to lock arms with you and continue moving forward. So I I really appreciate you coming on our show. Much appreciated, brother. Hugs to your young people, to your wife, and your your your, your dad. You know, you, I love your dad. Yep. Um, love to your family. Um, and yeah, we'll do it again because um, we, you, you and me, that we, yeah, man, we can do a lot. I agree, man. And same to you. So love, love to your family and uh, you take care. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. All right. Take care, DB. That one was good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.